In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. My Lord and my God, I I firmly believe that you are here, that you see me, that you hear me. I adore you with profound reverence. I ask your pardon for my sins and the grace to make this time of prayer fruitful. My Immaculate Mother, Saint Joseph, my Father and Lord, my guardian angel, intercede for me. It is logical that we be, we be very excited about this season of Lent because we know from experience that this is the season par excellence for leaning forward, for going higher, for undergoing a transformation, thanks to God's grace. We begin our time of prayer by reassuring the Lord of our, our readiness, our eagerness to change. As one great writer put it, all true Christian life must begin with a deep yearning to become a new man in Christ, an inner readiness to put off the old man, to use a phrase from St. Paul, a readiness to become something fundamentally different. Everyone is attracted by the notion of improving. There's a whole industry of self-help books, obviously. In our case, we have to be especially excited because it's not just self-improvement, but rather it is looking at the perfect God, perfect man, Jesus Christ, and saying to the Lord, I want to become more and more like you. Thanks to the grace of conversion during the season of Lent, we have this very special aspiration. My Jesus, I want to come to think the way you think, to have in my mind the things that matter to you, as opposed to wasting a lot of time thinking about things that you could not care less about. I want to get better and better at reacting to situations the way you react, the way you reacted on this earth. When I see those around me in any given situation, I want to see what you see, or more to the point, I want to see them, those people, those brothers and sisters of mine, with your eyes. Years ago, Joseph Ratzinger wrote a very powerful thought about the process of metanoia. Metanoia is that really interesting Greek term that means transformative change of heart. And metanoia, of course, is is at the very heart, the very core of Lent. He wrote, The distinguishing feature of the Christian willingness to change is, first of all, its boundlessness, its radical character. Well, that appeals to us because of our idealism. We'd love to say to the Lord, no no limits. I hereby declare I put no limits on what you want to do to my life, the ways that you want to help me to change. But then 
Joseph Ratzinger inserts, or he adds, this, this bit of realism. He says, nevertheless, we can all too easily get stuck in a limited willingness to change. With all sorts of reservations. And so we can end up exempting ourselves from change in precisely that which needs it the most. Well, this we can identify with. It's easy for us to have great ideals and big intentions. But then comes that magic moment when we have to actually do something. I'm sure you're well aware of the fact that that fitness clubs all over the world know what is going to happen during those first days of January. They are going to get a flood of new memberships. And they also know what's going to, ha- what's going to happen by the third or fourth week of January. Most of those new memberships will fall off to the side. And they will never see those people again. It's one thing to, to have, I want to, I'm determined to to get fit, to lose all the weight I put on during Christmas. It's another thing to actually do something. It's so very easy for us, it's so very important in our prayer to turn to the Holy Spirit and to say, don't let me off the hook. Please help me, give me the grace, give me the self-knowledge so that I can identify those character defects, those imperfections, that sinfulness, in order to apply the remedy. If I am always impatient, well, help me to realize that I'm always impatient and help me to apply the remedy. It's important that we seek purification from these imperfections, from these character defects, because they can slow us down. They can slow that, the transformation in Christ, that whole process. They can inhibit that process. You may be aware of the the wonderful world of, of boats, of boating, and of the challenge of barnacles. Barnacles are these really interesting, rather weird, well, that's being judgmental, they're rather strange animals that tend to attach themselves to the hulls of boats. And if those, if those barnacles are not scraped off during the, the winter season, they can really slow that boat down. Not just boats, not just pleasure boats, but we're talking about ships. These very large oil tankers that have to sail halfway across the world. They too, they have to scrape off those barnacles. Otherwise, they slow down. They have to spend a lot more money on fuel to get them halfway across the world. Same thing with us. We have these, these little creatures, our laziness, our self-centeredness, our pride, our defensiveness. If we, don't, if we do not scrape those things off, 
especially during Lent, well then, those layers become a hard shell. With that in mind, it, we can read and consider this point from this great book by St. Josemaria called The Forge, where he says in number 468, My child, where is the Christ that people look for in you? In your pride? In your desire to impose yourself on others? In those defects of character that you don't wish to under overcome? In your stubbornness? Is Christ to be found there? No, he is not. It's very important for us to realize that as the days and weeks go by, the people we deal with on a regular basis, who get to know us and get to know what makes us tick, they instinctively expect to find Christ in us. They, they wouldn't put it that way, probably. But they expect to find something different. More kindness, more thoughtfulness, more patience, more diligence, and the list goes on and on. And we cannot defraud them. That's why this, this point is very challenging. Where is that Christ? Is he in your pride, in your desire to impose yourself on others? In those defects of character that you do not wish to overcome? In your stubbornness? No. He is not to be found there. And then St. Maria finishes that point by saying, I agree, you need, you need to have your own personality. But you should try to make it conform exactly to Christ's. We said at the, at the very beginning of the, the meditation that we are eager, we're chopping at the bit to, to have this transformation, this conversion. And yet we have to recognize it, it is not automatic. One of the dangers to having the kind of Lent that the Lord wants for us is this kind of attitude that leads us to say, well... Granted, I'm, I'm impatient, I'm, I tend to be lazy, chaotic, etc. But that's the way I am. That's, I've always been that way. I am, it is what it is. And therefore, there is no need to struggle to be better. Well, that you could call the kiss of death. Because then, all bets are off then there, there is lacking this impetus, this spark, this love for the battle. And the, the bottom line, the result of that kind of attitude is mediocrity, also known, known as lukewarmness. And who wants that? Here we are called to the heights of sanctity to become configured with Jesus Christ, And so our response to the Lord is, bring it on, let's go. I'm in. I'm in because that is what you want for me, and that's all I need. But that brings up a very interesting question. What is the engine that drives this transformative change? The answer in one word is contrition. Contrition. 
For us to get anywhere in this process of conversion, we have to come down off our high horse. Contrition. There is that powerful that testimony from a great sinner, King David, who says to us in that sublime Psalm 50, A contrite and humble heart, O God, you will not despise. This is a key clue to us. It's a divine, this is from sacred scripture, divine revelation of the way that God works. When he comes across a contrite, humble heart, he allows himself to be conquered, as it were. We think of King David. We think of some of the heroes of the New Testament, people who absolutely conquered, they absolutely conquered Jesus Christ. Simon Peter, probably the most important day of his life, started off in a rough way. There he was in the town of Capernaum, the northern shore of the Sea of Galilee. He had just pulled an all-nighter, had not caught a thing, tired, grumpy, etc. Jesus said to him, please push off a little bit from the land so I can teach from your boat. And Simon agreed. The Lord then said, push off, launch out into the deep and lower your cats for a net. Lower your nets for a catch. And Simon beheld the miraculous catch of fish. Well, that which came next is all important for us. If Simon had been anybody else, it could, he could very easily have, have witnessed that catch of fish and thought to himself, you know, that's not bad. Not bad for someone who does not know how to fish, meaning this carpenter from down the road in Nazareth. But that is not what Simon Peter did. Simon fell to his knees right there in the boat. He said, Lord, depart from me. For I'm not worthy to be in your presence. I'm just a poor, stupid, sinful man. In other words, he got off his high horse, so to speak. He, he manifested to the Lord this contrition and this humility that we're looking for. Jesus looked at him with immense eyes of, of compassion, of affection, and restored him, said, Arise. Henceforth you will be, you will be a catcher of men. There was that other powerful, powerful moment when our Lord allowed himself to be conquered by someone who was penitent. There he was having that feast, having been invited by Simon the Pharisee. And during the early part of that feast, the Lord undoubtedly suffered a great deal because he could read men's hearts. He looked around in that room filled with Pharisees and he realized that he was surrounded by hearts that were, had turned to stone. They were really, really hardened. 
Then came that magic moment. The penitent woman entered, barged into that scene, walked straight over to the Lord. She could not have cared less what the others were thinking. She knelt at Jesus' feet, began to bathe her t- our Lord's feet with her tears, wiped them dry with her hair, anointed them with that precious ointment. She knew, she had this instinct, he will forgive me. That contrition, that humility, absolutely conquered Jesus. Your sins, many though they are, are forgiven because you have loved much. It is a great thing to be restored, to receive this gesture, this reality of God's mercy. That is why if anyone were to say to us that contrition is a very negative reality, we would have to explain to that person that they don't understand. Contrition, well, really all we have to do is just imagine the the parable of the prodigal son. When that, the younger son, the prodigal son, came to his senses and started heading home, he started to rehearse a negative message. Father, I I have sinned against heaven, I have sinned against you, I am no longer worthy to be called your son. And so imagine him going, that long walk back home, just going over that line again and again and again. He never got to, to deliver it. Once he was in the presence of his father, he didn't have a chance even to say hello, because his father just reached out, smothered him with that huge embrace, and restored him completely. Well, this is what is going on during the season of Lent. When we turn to the Lord with great contrition, with a desire to be forgiven, what we are doing is walking right towards him and seeing those merciful arms of God extended to receive us into his holiness. It's very important to notice the importance of genuine contrition. In other words, of really and truly being sorry for our sins, recognizing our sinfulness, and being sorry for it. The reason is because without that, if we were simply to say, well, okay, this is Lent, so I hereby, okay, fine, well, I'll give up uh, losing at tennis, I'll give up, I don't know what else, but that's it, I'm renewed. If we try to take a shortcut without being contrite, well then that desire for conversion will be condemned to shallowness and sterility. Because we will still be with a hardened heart. That's why during the season of Lent we hear so often, if today you hear his voice, harden not your hearts. Let your heart be melted. The effect of contrition is interior peace, serene joy. An effect of contrition is 
real growth. To the extent that our contrition is authentic and sincere, well then we will fight harder to root out those obstacles. If we confront the fact that we are impatient or aggressive or brusque with people, and we admit it to ourselves and we say, okay, Lord, give me the grace to overcome that, well, then we will begin to see progress. We will begin to acquire the virtue of patience, the virtue of kindness. One writer also points out that contrition gives to the soul a unique character of beauty. It is in contrition that the new fundamental attitude of a humble, reverent charity becomes dominant. Contrition leads us to abandon the fortress of pride and self-sovereignty. Well, this certainly rings true. If we think of someone we, someone who is very approachable, who is a great listener, who understands us, Someone with whom we love to be with, with whom we love to be. Well, we, we, you know, if we think about it, you know, why is it? Undoubtedly, it is because that person has a beautiful soul. That person does not have this, this hardness that gets in the way. And this phrase that we just read is very powerful. A fundamental attitude of a humble and reverent charity. Right there are, is something fantastic for us to work at during these coming days. A humble, reverent charity. We just think of people we come in touch with. It could be someone asking for money on the street. It could be someone doing a service for us, anybody. To the extent that we really we have descended from our high horse and see that person the way that Jesus sees that person, well then the attitude of reverence comes naturally. Well, the final point, which you have already been thinking about, how do we go about expressing this contrition? King David wrote a, wrote a song. Simon Peter dropped to his knees in his boat. Penitent woman was there in the feast of Simon the Pharisee. We don't need a boat. We don't need a, a big feast day. We, drop to our, we fall to our knees in the sacrament of penance. It is there where we say, I have sinned against you, my Lord. And we hear those words, I absolve you of your sins. And at that moment, we know. We know without a shadow of a doubt that it is the the Lord himself who is saying those words, borrowing the voice of the priest. The Lord is forgiving those sins. Furthermore, we have to realize 
that as far as, far as God is concerned, a soul, a penitent, on his or her knees, asking for forgiveness, is a magnificent creature. One who justly steals God's heart. Well, we ask Our Lady as we finish this time of prayer to give us a great love for the sacrament of penance, to give us a renewed desire and eagerness to seek this configuration with her son. We ask Our Lady to turn to her spouse, the Holy Spirit, to obtain from him these graces of conversion, of transformation that we so eagerly want. I thank you, my God, for the good resolutions, affections, and inspirations that you have communicated to me in this meditation. I ask your help in putting them into effect. My Immaculate Mother, St. Joseph, my Father and Lord, my Guardian Angel, intercede for me.